Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We have lots of reaction to the big news yesterday of the signing of the Phase 1 U.S.-China trade deal. We're going to hear from Jake Parker, Senior Vice President with U.S.-China Business Council, a conversation with our Chief Ag Negotiator, Ambassador Greg Dowd, takes us behind the scenes, what it was like at the negotiating table these months and months working on this, and what's in the deal and what we should expect moving forward. And we'll get reaction from the National Pork Producers Council. Maria Ziba, their Director of International Affairs, will join us with her thoughts on the trade deal. But we'll start things off today with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, I have to admit, as I watched the ceremony in the East Room of the White House yesterday, two things really jumped out at me. One, I felt sorry for those standing on the stage, especially the Chinese officials who stood there a long time as the president basically introduced everybody in the room and talked a little bit about most of them. But the other thing that the my mind flashed back. I tell you, 20 years ago, I sat in that very room. President Clinton was leading a, a ceremony that day, and the, it was all about getting most favored uh, nation trading status for China. That was 20 years ago, and here, 20 years later, back in that very room, signing a trade deal. It shows just how important China is to our ag economy and our economy overall and how long they've been in that position and how long it's been a critical issue. Finally, uh, the signing of a deal yesterday. Well, it certainly was an important day, a uh, real start of something, the phase one trade agreement. And as you've been reflecting back, think about uh, up until around the year 2000, uh, we were barely selling a billion dollars a year of ag products to China. And then, of course, we zoomed up into the high 20s uh, with their demand, higher commodity prices. We've come back some, but I think we're uh, with this agreement. Certainly looks like we're poised to uh, uh, sell a lot more to China. So it's a, uh, a real, uh, we view it as a very positive outcome of these, uh, these talks with China. And, of course, the talks will continue. Other issues to work on, but uh, we're all still busy uh, unpacking uh, what was agreed to and signed yesterday. Yeah, in the details that we have, and we don't have them all yet, but it, for what we do know, what stands out to you? Well, certainly the commitment to, over the next two years, purchase around $80 billion uh, of total uh, of U.S. ag products really stands out. I mean, that is a significant increase, uh, certainly very welcome news to agricultural producers all across the country. Certainly will cover a wide variety of products and uh, we think should give a significant boost. Uh, to U.S. farmers and ranchers, and everybody else associated with them, processors, transporters, everybody who relies on trade. Uh, that's certainly welcome news in the ag sector. So that really did uh, stand out um, from that, the really positive news side. And you also, of course, have to recognize we still have, uh, and it has to be worked on, and I know will be in the next phase of these negotiations, the continuing issues with tariffs. Uh, we just have to recognize that's still a uh, that's still there, but I know those are uh, hopefully will be addressed as we go forward. 
Yeah, that is a big issue, and the president's made it clear he wants to keep those uh, for uh, kind of uh, negotiating purposes and have those in his pocket. Uh, and we'll talk about these things later with Ambassador Dowd, but uh, enforcement's going to be a big part of this, and also timing. When do, when do we actually start seeing these sales happen? Yeah, well, the uh, agreement, as I understand, goes into force, you know, within 30 days. And then, of course, uh, you know, between uh, China, it's uh, uh, them to start uh, the buying. Of course, we all know there's different rhythms to selling agricultural products anywhere in the world, especially to China. You think of the soybeans, which we all uh, really focus on, since those were the product that had, I'd say, the biggest hit over the last few years and decline in sales. Well, China traditionally, it fits the rhythm of their buying and the rhythm of world production, would buy from the U.S. uh, in the fall. And then in the spring, when the Brazilian crop came in, southern hemisphere, they would start buying from Brazil. So, you know, they can certainly buy more from us now. There's obviously plenty to buy, but of course, then they would be buying from their uh, uh, Brazilian suppliers. And we would certainly look for them to uh, hopefully increase uh, uh, purchases from the U.S., uh, you know, this coming summer and fall. Other products, though, are more steady. We're thinking meat products, all kinds of other things there that they would buy on a more continual basis. So I know we'll uh, once this goes into effect, and uh, everybody will be watching very closely uh, the uh, pattern of uh, China's buying, and, of course, we're all looking forward to it. Talking with Dave Salmons with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, this should be another big day today on trade. Uh, more action on USMCA. Yes, there is, as we're uh, expecting uh, this morning, the Senate, to uh, take the vote on final passage. They want to get that wrapped up before the uh, impeachment uh, starts. Uh, trial starts next week. So they want to get that done uh, today. That could happen any time. You know, the, uh, the Senate parliamentarian had a referral to several committees uh, on the Senate side after the Senate Finance Committee overwhelmingly reported the bill out last week. Those committees finished up their work yesterday. They all, of course, uh, overwhelmingly approved the uh, USMCA, and now it's ready for passage on the Senate floor. So that uh, we expect to take place over the next few hours. There were times over the last year we wondered if we'd ever get to this point. Now they both happen pretty much at the same time. Yes, it's, it is a uh, interesting uh, happenstance. It is quite the week for uh, for trade all around and for uh, U.S. agricultural trade and uh uh, we're looking forward to the benefits uh, that will be flowing from these agreements for years and years to come. Very good. Dave, thanks a lot. Uh, it's not yeah. over. We'll have plenty more to talk about on trade as we oh, move yeah. forward. But but uh, these are a couple big days for sure. Thanks a lot. They are. Thank you. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Yeah, I tell you what, it was it was almost 20 years ago, right around 20 years ago, uh, and I was sitting in that east room of the White House where the signing ceremony took place yesterday, and it was a huge event. And I remember sitting there with some of my farm broadcasting colleagues from around the country. We were sitting there, and I remember just looking around at you know members of Congress and past members of Congress and, and administration officials, and I kept thinking someone's going to tap us on the shoulder at any time and say, get up and get out of our chairs. But we got to sit there and... When the music plays and the President of the United States comes into the room, and at that time it was President Clinton, and it didn't, it really didn't matter. Politics, party, person, it just the, 
that the President of the United States was coming in. You hear that music. I tell you what, you stand, and I could just literally feel the goosebumps and the hair standing up in the back of your neck and on your arms. It was just amazing uh, to be in that uh, atmosphere. And then when it was over, this is what I'll never forget that day, we uh, got in line to go through a, a reception line and got to shake hands and meet President Clinton and also Presidents Ford and Carter, a day I'll never, ever forget. All right, more on the U.S.-China trade deal coming up next with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. If your soil could talk, what would it say? If it's healthy, it may already be saying some good things about your future. Because farmers who use soil health building systems that include no-till, cover crops, and diverse species and rotations report greater productivity, profitability, and resiliency to weather extremes. Learn more about what your soil is saying about its health and your future. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now is Jonathan Kappas, Assistant Professor of Agricultural and Consumer Economics, University of Illinois. Jonathan, thanks for being with us. I've noticed more and more of these payments are starting to, to get some scrutiny and in some cases criticism uh, from various uh, uh, areas as uh, people look more closely at them, who's getting them, the amount of them, things like that. So this is going to be a story we'll be talking about for a while. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt you put that kind of uh, that kind of cash infusion into the countryside. There's there's no doubt it's going to help, and and it certainly is going to help at a time that you know farmers have been struggling for multiple years. But really, the the trade and tariff uh, moves by this administration has made it you know that much more difficult. And so you know there, there, nobody discounts the fact that these will help, and these are helping at a time of, uh, of of some real challenges financially and economically. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, 
Call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So it was a big day yesterday among the many at that ceremony. I mean, ag groups were well represented there. That agriculture was a big part of the story yesterday, the signing of the uh, Phase 1 U.S.-China trade deal. And again, coming up, we're going to talk with uh, Ambassador Greg Dowd, our chief ag negotiator, and he'll take us behind the scenes, what it was like at the negotiating table, and some of his thoughts on the deal. Let's get some thoughts on it now from Jake Parker, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Jake, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Mike. Uh, Your thoughts on the deal as you look at it, what we know of it anyway. uh, What stands out to you? Any surprises? Well, I think from our perspective, at the very least, this puts a base under the further deterioration of the bilateral relationship. It begins to lift some of the tariffs on both sides, and it offers some good purchase commitments that should help reinvigorate American farmers here in the United States. On the substantive side, we thought that the agriculture chapter of the agreement was one of the most lengthy and detailed, and that it covers a variety of dairy, meat, aquatic, animal feed, pet feed, plant products, as well as commitments on tariff rate quotas, domestic support, and biotechnology, areas that have been touched on in the past, but not in the level of depth and detail that we see here. There's also an emphasis on uh, enforcement of it, oversight of it, to make sure China, uh, uh, you know, sticks to the agreement. Uh, What do you think about that part of it? Is it enough? Absolutely. Well, what's been lacking in some of our previous commitments with the Chinese through the Comprehensive Economic Dialogue or the JCCT or these past uh, bilateral agreements between the two sides is this enforcement mechanism. Uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, both sides have taken this to the table because they are concerned of returning to this tit-for-tat tariff escalation. So my bet is the fact that the Chinese agreed to it is they're going to try and work to address the, the, the commitments that they've made in the agreement and try to work with the United States to make sure that when concerns are raised, that those can be addressed directly as opposed to having tariffs come back into action. I guess the question, I mean, we're excited in agriculture when you see that $40, $50 billion figure, but that's such a big figure uh, even higher than what it was, you know, before the trade war started, uh, the, you kind of almost pinch yourself and say, is this too good to be true? How, what do you think about reaching those kind of numbers? So one of the biggest problems, as you and your listeners know, with the China market is they've imposed a significant amount of sanitary and phytosanitary non-tariff barriers, which restrict the access to a wide variety of U.S. agricultural products in the China market. So by removing some of these, by um, ensuring that China will eliminate the cattle age requirements for U.S. beef products, recognize U.S. beef traceability system, and adopt maximum residue limits based on international standards, for three widely used hormones, that's going to allow more American beef to enter the market, beef that wasn't even part of the equation in the past. As you know, we saw the first shipment of poultry reach China this week. We're also seeing more American poultry manufacturing facilities be registered under China systems and and allowed to export going forward. So while in the past we had maybe a straw of products that could fit into the China market. Now we've got a a tube that more products will be able to filter through going forward. And I think that makes us more confident that we can reach these ambitious agriculture numbers. 
We're talking with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Jake, we oftentimes, after something like this, try to assess, uh, you know, victory to one side or the other. Did one side come out better than the other? There's an old saying in baseball when a trade's made, you know, the best trades when both sides win. Do you think both sides won in this, or is it one-sided, one to, and if so, which side? No, you absolutely got it right. Everyone wins with this trade agreement because no one wins in a trade war. Uh, I know that across our membership, the tariffs have been just uh, hugely damaging to a variety of countries across industries. No one's been hurt more than the American farmer. So the fact that we found a trajectory on reducing those going forward and we have commitments to increase purchases is very good for America. It's also good for China because we do have a bit more of a stability, stable agreement and it should stop any kind of immediate retaliation. That enforcement mechanism that you talked about a little bit earlier talks about proportional responses when an issue is raised instead of seeing major new tariffs come into force. So uh, I think both sides were winners here. But not all tariffs are gone. How does that play out moving forward, you think? So from my perspective, I, I think that the reason that all the tariffs aren't gone is another incentive for ch to ensure that China is implementing on its commitments. Um, and I suspect that even if something isn't, hasn't been mentioned publicly, there have probably been private commitments to the Chinese government that if they continue to improve and if there's progress on additional issues in phase two and beyond, things like subsidies and industrial policy, data, cloud computing, the much more difficult issues that are wrapped up in national security, that that'll give them a roadmap for reduction of future tariffs. So it's, again, another incentive for China to deliver on its commitments and also put a little bit more on the table. This was the big one for agriculture, but there's phase two now to work on. What do you see there? So phase two, it's going to have uh, some of the issues that I just described. It'll try to address the, the cross-border data flow uh, the data localization restrictions that China imposes. Currently, China doesn't allow U.S. cloud computing companies to be able to operate as wholly foreign-owned enterprises. They have to find a Chinese domestic partner to be able to proceed in that business. The U.S. government is going to attempt to try and get them to lift those restrictions. I think there's also going to be a focus on the competitiveness of state-owned enterprises and whether the subsidies that they're granted create uh, unlevel playing fields and distort competitive environments. So, so these are some really tricky issues, uh, but, but they're one that are really important for our members to address. Well, we know agriculture, for the most part, is applauding yesterday's uh, signing of the trade deal. How is it playing with other sectors of the economy? So I, I can tell you that, obviously, it's been, a, it's been a short day. But in my conversations with my colleagues in China overnight, we've heard overwhelming support from the business community for the agreement, and mostly because it creates a little bit more certainty for companies on the ground there as they begin to plan for 2020. Additionally, in the China market, many of our American companies have had questions raised by their customers there on whether or not U.S. supply is reliable and whether or not additional future tariffs could potentially inhibit that supply. So by ensuring that we now have a little bit of a base under further deterioration, uh, that should give their customers a little more confidence and hopefully help allow our company sell a little bit more in that market. Because this doesn't just hand us carte blanche in China, right? But it, it gets us, it allows us in there with a lot more favorable uh, 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 situation to compete than we had before. That's absolutely right, and uh, we're, we're hopeful that. Again, these, these market access barriers, which are persistent in the China system, will begin to be addressed as a part of this phase one agreement. You know, we often wondered during the last 18 months, would it ever be 
the same or as good as it was, or could it actually be better with China than it was before this trade war started? What are your thoughts now, I guess we can say post-trade war, about what's happened these last 18 months and what it means moving forward now? Well, calling from the swamp, I think that there's a view out here in Washington, D.C., that things with China will never be the same. And uh, as you've probably seen, the commercial and the national security issues are increasingly intermingled. There's not going to be a stop in the efforts of the U.S. administration to uh, ensure that U.S. national security is protected. Uh, That probably means some new restrictions on the types of technologies that can be exported there. It may mean some additional scrutiny for Chinese investments here in the United States. But we have to do our best to ensure that these national security issues are remaining on a separate track than commercial issues because we never want to be seen as using protectionism for na- excuse me national security for protectionist purposes that's china's playbook and frankly we don't want to replicate that yeah it seems like this all started we started hearing about issues with intellectual property and the next thing we knew we were in a trade war and agriculture seemed to be at the forefront of it uh, have those core issues are we any closer to resolving them We're closer in the sense of they're now right in the crosshairs of the U.S. negotiators and Chinese negotiators. Um, So the next phase of the agreement and the ways that we're going to see additional reduction in tariffs is for the two sides to be able to discuss those. So um, in a a way, we are in some ways, um, you know, these these are the most challenging issues in the relationship, and that's why it's taken a little bit longer to address them. I guess the big question, and time will tell, probably too soon to answer the question now but i guess the big question is was it worth it was this trade war worth it what do you think Uh, i think that your your listeners are probably going to have a much more direct answer on this than i have but uh, if this agreement is fully implemented and if china reduces these market access barriers let's just talk about agriculture then i've heard some in the the u.s administration indicate that this could double u.s agricultural exports in an era without tariffs in place If we get to that point on a yearly basis and we're selling $50 billion of agricultural products a year, I would say that that's a big win, and it grows as a win over time. All right, Jake, thanks a lot. Really appreciate your perspective. Appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Jake Parker, Senior Vice President, U.S.-China Business Council. Up next, Ambassador Greg Dowder, Chief Ag Negotiator on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. With the start of every new year, you always have new possibilities. The new year is upon us, and Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network, has plenty of news to be excited about. Your host, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture, has expanded the daily conversation into new geographies around the country. Mike has new online content, too. Navigate on your computer, smartphone, or tablet to AmericanAgNetwork.com. Under the Adams on Agriculture tab, you can listen to Mike's latest shows and also catch up on Mike's new weekly commentary. Adams on Agriculture is also available as an Alexa skill on your Amazon device. Adams on Agriculture with Mike Adams, presented by the American Ag Network. We're looking forward to new conversations with you throughout the year with information farmers and ranchers need to know. 
Check it out. Adams on Agriculture. Presented by the American Ag Network. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Defensive tone to the grain and oil seed sector in the overnight trade, and that continues an hour into the day trade. Grain traders, while pleased that the president has signed that phase one deal with China, they're now looking for China to start their buying of U.S. grains. The Senate, meanwhile, expected to pass an overhaul of the North American Free Trade Agreement today. The U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement would replace the 26-year-old NAFTA. Export sales of U.S. wheat totaling 650,600 metric tons for the week ending January 9th, according to USDA. That's higher than the range forecast by traders. They place sales between 300,000 to 500,000 tons. Chicago wheat, though, an hour into the day, pulling back. March contract down 13 at 560 and a half. Kansas City wheat march down 13 and three quarters at 482 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat march down a nickel at 551 and a quarter. In corn, the March contract is down nine and a quarter, 378 and a quarter. May at 385, down nine cents. March soybeans down six cents, 922 and a half. May down six and a half at 935 and a half cent. Livestock at the Merck, defensive there too. February live cattle down 97 at 125.62. Feeder cattle, March contract down $1.07 at 144.10. We have yet to see cash cattle sales on a live basis in the South, asking prices 126 or higher. In lean hog futures, February $1.10 lower, 66.72. Outside markets, the Dow is up 160, NASDAQ up 76, S&P up 15, February crude oil in New York up 72. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. On this day after the big signing of the Phase 1 U.S.-China trade deal, very happy to have with us our Chief Ag Negotiator, Ambassador Greg Dowd. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Can you can you take us through these past 18 months and, and a little bit of behind the scenes of what it took to get this deal finally signed? 
uh, a lot of work by a lot of people. Um, the uh, we, we uh, somewhere around the twenty mark, we counted count my uh, counterpart, the vice minister of agriculture in China, Han Jun, who, by the way, is a great guy. Uh, has been to the United States many, many times over the last fifteen years or so. Speaks very good English. Uh, we, he and I both agreed on many occasions how historic our conversations were. We met in 33 negotiating sessions over a little more than the past year, uh, hundreds of hours we have spent together on these 26 or 27 pages that are, are now online, and everybody, and I would encourage everybody to read them. And uh, we went through, I, I think in the document there are over spe- 50 specific commitments just in ag with uh, specific time periods associated with them. Well, there's been so much speculation about what is in it, what's not in it. We're still looking for details. What can you tell us from an agricultural standpoint? We keep hearing 40 to $50 billion in purchases, people wondering how do we get there, what are they going to buy, when. What can you tell us? Well, let's, first of all, let's talk about what we did not discuss. What we did not discuss were tariffs, either the, the most favored nation tariffs or the retaliatory tariffs. We discussed, uh, we spent our time focusing on the non-tariff trade barriers. You know, other than soybeans and maybe cotton, just about everything else we sell to China in agriculture has some sort of SPS issue, some sort of issue that restricts our access. And that's what we focused on in these 33 sessions, is to try to cut through and fix all of these things that we could possibly get our hands wrapped around and sorted out. We didn't fix everything, but we fixed a whole bunch of stuff. So that that was the what we were working on here. In terms of the purchases, Mike, the way this works is we, we negotiated a base period uh, based upon twenty these of uh, twenty seventeen trade of twenty four billion dollars, and then we negotiated an additional thirty two billion on top of that. So if you take and the most our best way to describe it is if you take the twenty four for twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, that's forty eight billion plus the thirty two. China made a $80 billion commitment over the next two years in purchases of ag products. They also committed to say, we'll make our best efforts in another five each year on top of that. And and one of the other things is say, well, where the 40 to 50 range? Well, one of the things that is in this, and this is important detail and we can get into now, the forestry stuff, which a lot of people include in ag, actually went into the other manufacturing products. So that opens that up for more room on the ag side. So if you if you throw that in, depending on how you want to calculate it, um, you know, there's there's more there. That's several billion dollars in forestry we send to China as well. So that's that's where all of that comes from. That's the calculation if you can do that on the back of your napkin. So a lot of people are focused, okay, how many, uh, how much are they going to buy in soybeans? What about ethanol? Uh, have those things been determined? There are subcategories under the overall number uh, that have been discussed, those will not be made public, and we, and they can't be made public. You know they, that those would have certain market impact. Uh, you know if, if those ever were. So, uh, are there specific commitments underneath that? Yeah, but they they won't be made public. We're talking with our chief ag negotiator, Ambassador Greg Dowd, about the Phase One U.S.-China trade deal. So. There's been a lot of talk still about tariffs still being in place, the president talking about hanging on to those for negotiating purposes. What can you tell us about that? Because, you know, ag groups continually say we need those tariffs gone to really have a f- fair chance in, in that market. Talk to us about tariffs. 
Well, in terms of the retaliatory tariffs, that's China's decision. They've got to make the number in terms of the purchase commitment, so it's up to them to decide what they are going to do with regard to the tariffs. Now, I will tell you, what we've already seen them do uh, in, in the case of soybeans and uh, some, in some cases on pork, uh, they are providing exemptions for those tariffs, just like we have an exemptions process. And that is our expectation going forward is, is China will uh, emulate our exemptions process uh, here as, as now that the agreement is signed to uh, begin to open this thing up and make it work. And so that's, uh, that's on them is the answer to that question. Historically, there have been issues with China living up to agreements, and there's been a lot of talk about enforcement of this deal. What's in place to make sure China sticks to it? Yeah, there's an entire chapter on enforcement, Mike, and, and uh, I don't want to go into a lot of details there just to say that this thing has teeth in it, and, and uh, if they don't meet uh, the requirements that are in this document, uh, what it says is that on a proportional basis that we have the right to put tariffs back on uh, commensurate with the commitment that they have not kept. So it, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty clear. China has agreed to this. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how this is going forward. The other point that is very important to make is uh, we're going to be meeting at a monthly, uh, at my level, twice a year basis, uh, at my boss's level, you know, regular meetings. There are going to be a lot more discussions between the U.S. and China and agriculture and across both of our economies than have ever occurred before. And so as these, the goal is, is, is that these, if issues arise in terms of implementation, and we both realize uh, with all of these commitments, it is a massive undertaking now to get this thing uh, operational. And uh, there's going to be a lot of conversations, a lot of interaction between us to do this. But again, the point that needs to be made is, is these are changes that China agreed to. These are changes that they believe will help them as a country. They know our products and agriculture are the best products on earth. Uh, the vice minister and I have had very good conversations about this. So many of these things that we've talked about in these agreements were just requirements and regulatory issues and challenges in terms of doing this that China didn't have any way to cope with it. They didn't have any mechanism to get new dairy products into China. We spent hours and hours and hours talking through ways to make this happen and, and get this done, something that China, my counterpart said, they've never had a conversation with any other country in the world about this ever. This is, have, these have truly been historic conversations. When we see uh, a line where, that says purchases depending on market conditions, what does that mean? Well, it depends. You've got to be price competitive, but and, and uh, the answer is with regard to soybeans, there's going to be points in the year where we're not price competitive. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, you, you know, in a lot of commodities right now, I'm in contact with the f folks out there every day. We're pretty competitive on a lot of things right now. Uh, wheat, and for example, on the corn side of the equation. Uh, so, you know, we just have to look and uh, see how all this works on, on a commodity-by-commodity uh, commodity basis. But I want to, uh, if you'll let me go through a minute, I want to go through the list of commodities, just a rough list of things that we've talked about in terms of sanitary and phytosanitary barriers, non-tariff trade barriers, and those include beef. We're going to get the beef market open. Pork, poultry, uh, first shipment of uh, poultry arrived in China and, and uh, was cleared yesterday. Uh, seafood, unbelievably difficult conversations there. We've got a whole bunch of new products and species that have been cleared to go to China. 
Uh, dairy, I think, is the biggest section in terms of the uh, agriculture side of the discussion, and a lot of conversations about facilities and new products and how we get those in. Infant formula, rice, potatoes, nectarines, blueberries, avocados, barley, alfalfa pellets, hay, all kinds of discussions about feed additives, distillers, grains, pet food, etc. So there, and then another big section on biotech, and and uh, that was probably the hardest, uh, most difficult part of the conversation was on biotech, and and I think we didn't get everything we wanted there, but we made an enormous amount of progress getting them down to instead of approvals from uh, taking five to seven years, they're now saying on these processed products uh, would be corn and soybeans. Uh, on average, 24 months. That's a huge step forward for all of us in agriculture. Well, that gives us an idea of the scope and the magnitude of this deal. Uh, And that's phase one. So now you're on to phase two. It isn't just a talking point that we're we're using here to say, first of all, we got to get phase one implemented. And and in agriculture, this is everything. We've we've got to make sure that uh, all of this gets implemented in the time periods that uh, we have listed in this agreement. Uh, it's going to take us a while to get that done. And and as these you know, if things evolve and arise as we're going through this, those are conversations. First of all, we'll have in consultations, and then if we can't discuss them or or get them resolved. Uh, you know that's that's for conversations down the road. So we the, we tried to fix everything we could fix here, Mike, and and so now let's get this implemented and see where we where we go from here. So I, I'm I'm not uh, you know the, the goal was in agriculture to get everything we possibly could uh, fixed in phase one. How soon do you think we start seeing this kick in? The uh, entry into force is 30 days after today. And then uh, as everybody reads this agreement, you'll see in five working days, in 10 days, in 20 working days, in 30 days, uh, things that will all uh, be required of China to do. Uh, why all of those different dates is the answer is we argued and uh, negotiated over every single one of those dates. Uh, we also negotiated this over 33 sessions. So in one session, we, you know, and, and we tried to also space it out so everything wasn't required all on the same day. Uh, but uh, the case on beef is uh, uh, within 30 days of entry into force, so that would mean plus or minus 60 days from today, uh, we should be up and running in our beef market to China. And that is a really big deal because China last year imported $5 billion in beef. This year already they've imported $6 billion in beef, which makes them the biggest beef importer in the world. Uh, so far, I think this year our share of that $6 billion is $70 million. So we, now we get rid of the uh, hormone issue, we get rid of the traceability issue, we get rid of the age issue. This should get us up and running. That's our Chief Ag Negotiator, Ambassador Greg Dowd, giving us a breakdown of the Phase 1 U.S.-China trade deal. Greg, thanks for your time. Congratulations. Great to see a resolution of this and all the hard work that you and many others put into it. Thank you. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, 
publicity and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn... Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now don't spend all that free time in one place unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Do you like what you're hearing on Adams on Agriculture? Continue that conversation important to agriculture on Twitter. You can follow the talk show at AOA underscore talk show or follow Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. Here you will receive real-time highlights of the show and see what others are buzzing about in the industry. Adams on Agriculture hopes to meet you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Borden Dairy Company is the second major milk producer to file for bankruptcy in the last two months, joining Dean Foods, the largest U.S. dairy company. Now, Borden's does still plan to uh, uh, stay in business, but Dean Foods intends to sell its assets. And what, what's behind it, and what does it mean moving forward? Joining us now is John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, thanks for joining us. When you have major brand names like this filing for bankruptcy, it has to, has to wave some red flags, doesn't it? You're exactly right. This does raise some red flags when you look at what happened with, with Dean Foods in 2019 and now uh, with Borden in 2020. It, it really makes you think that, that dairy may be, uh, at an inflection point, when you think about the Class One market and, and where the the trends have been uh, for fluid milk sales over the last few decades. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that 
winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we continue to get reaction to the signing of the Phase 1 U.S.-China trade deal yesterday. Joining us now is Maria Ziba, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Maria, thank you for joining us. I know the pork industry very happy with this deal. What does it mean for U.S. pork producers? Well, we're really happy that we finalized the first phase of the trade deal. Um, it's a positive first step, but we've got to get those retaliatory duties uh, eliminated for our pork products. Uh, and if we do get those retaliatory duties, this deal could potentially generate $25 billion in annual sales to China. How do those tariffs that are still in place impact pork going into China, even with the deal signed? Well, we've been able to export pork to China because they have such a need for our product. And pork really is a litmus test. You know, if they're not willing to remove those tariffs on on our products, then it's going to be very difficult to meet that uh, threshold of of the $40 billion in ag purchases um, that the Chinese have guaranteed in the deal. Now, that's a really good deal for us if we can get those retaliatory duties removed. $40 billion sounds pretty good for all of U.S. agriculture per year. There's been a lot made of the fact that last year was a missed opportunity for U.S. pork producers. China, with African swine fever and the huge uh, deficit in their pork production, uh, we couldn't take full advantage of it because of the trade war. Do you think moving forward now we'll be able to take advantage of that opportunity? Well, I think that this first phase of the deal was very beneficial because we agreed to a number of um, rules and, and, and statutes. But moving forward, because we still have those retaliatory duties in place for our pork and pork products, it makes it really difficult for us to fully have that potential and reach that potential that's there for our industry. This sounds almost like a catch-22 because President Trump has said he wants those tariffs as a negotiating tool, and some have already told us those may be needed to to ensure enforcement of the deal, to make sure China sticks to it. But as long as we have those tariffs in place, it sounds like they may not, it may not uh, allow the pork industry to fully take advantage of the opportunity there. Is this a catch-22? Well, the Chinese certainly need our product. We know that they've lost about 50% of their herd, so they're going to be purchasing not only pork from, from the United States but other proteins. And the, the retaliatory duties that are being placed by the Chinese really put us at a disadvantage 
but that's China's doing, and China's the one that keeps that, that 68% in place for our, our products, despite the fact that the Europeans and everyone else is paying 8%, and that's really on them and the fact that they need our product and they still put that, that retaliatory duty in effect. We have seen some higher pork sales into China. Do you think the pressure will be on them to lift or lower those tariffs because they need our product? Now, I think that because there's that, that need for protein in China, the Chinese are going to have to, despite the fact that, that we have have kept those duties in place on the Chinese products and vice versa, they're going to need to come to a point because of inflation, because of the need and the shortage. And so I think that there's a delicate balance that needs to be struck by the Chinese, but you know, we have to be optimistic and keep pushing forward and making sure that, that they're hearing us, that, that we understand the situation that they're in, and they need to remove those tariffs on our products. So interesting. Uh, what you're saying is, from a pork perspective, this is a very good step, but it's not a slam-dunk victory immediately for the pork industry. Well, I think that what the administration had to really thread the needle, and they, uh, this agriculture is one component of a bigger deal. They did very well for agriculture and getting the Chinese to commit to purchasing $40 billion per year um, in the, for the next two years with an additional $5 billion in, in the next two years. So we're looking at about $45 billion per year on ag purchases out of a total of um, about, you know, 200. So I think that for us, it's been a very beneficial deal for U.S. agriculture, but the Chinese have not lifted those retaliatory duties on our products, and that's what we really need is, is that relief for our producers. All right, so we'll keep a watch and eye on that. Meanwhile, more good news in the... We're getting very close to finally having USMCA done. Yes, we're ecstatic. We have a call to action out to our producers to make sure that those senators hear from our producers and and know to vote yes for USMCA. looks like we're going to have a vote here um, in the next few hours. And, you know, this couldn't come at at a better time. We definitely need the Canadian and, and Mexican markets, and we need that reliability and and to be reliable customers for them. Expected to pass, but you don't want to take that for granted. That's why you have the call to action out to to reach out to senators. Yes, you know, sometimes people may be out of town for various reasons, um, but we definitely have that call to action to make sure that um, those senators are hearing from our producers on the urgency and the need to have a vote on USMCA and the importance for our farmers. They can't, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in Capitol Hill, as we all know, um, but to make sure that this is a top priority for us and, and that they understand that. A couple of big days for trade, Maria. Yeah, we're, well, it's very exciting. 2019 or 2020 has been a very interesting year. We got uh, the first phase of that of China. We got Japan. Yep, so uh, off to a good start in 2020, but we'll watch that tariff situation. Thank you, Maria. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Bye.
Maria Ziva, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council, joining us here on AOA. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day, everyone.